invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And also this time I'd like to dismiss the children. recently read through R.C. Sproul's comments on the very last sermon that Martin Luther preached in his life. Martin Luther, who had all the reasons to rejoice over the work that was done during the three decades of Reformation, three days before he died, actually expressed some serious concern for the future of Christianity in Germany. Three decades into the Reformation, right before he died, he started noticing this trend among his own parishioners, people who were sitting in Martin Luther's pews in his hometown. He started noticing this trend. He was seeing that people were getting too accustomed to, to hearing the message of justification by grace through faith. They were getting too accustomed to hearing the Word of God taught and explained uh, day after day, week after week, by the famous preachers and teachers of the Reformation. They were getting too accustomed to reading the Bible in their native tongue. And so as a result, they were growing aloof and unresponsive. And then, towards the end of his life, he started noticing this other trend, which was uh, shocking for him. He saw his own parishioners take two days of work to make two days distance to look at the apparently newfound trousers of Joseph. They'll take two days of work to look at, uh, at the apparently newfound breast milk of Mary. They would travel all the people who were sitting in Martin Luther's pews. They would travel two days to look and to touch the apparently newfound pants that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, wore. And so he was shocked. He was asking this question, why would they do this outrageous thing? And the answer was this. They were looking for power. They were looking for power. Why did those funny people look for the fountain of youth in Florida? Um, why did people across the street, right down the street, why did people go to occult shops? Um, why did men leave their families? Uh, we've been asking now for year and a half, why start the war and sacrifice the well-being of your country for now at least a decade? Why bow down and worship an idol? People are still looking for power. And so the big question that is before us this morning is, where lies that power to change our own lives and the lives of those around us? with this question in mind that I would now like to invite you to please stand with me as we look at God's Word. Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power 
according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God for Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask your spirit that he would open our eyes and open our ears that uh, we may hear your voice through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, in light of Hunter and James going to India next week, as you have noticed, we are placing a, a special emphasis on missions uh, today and the next two Sundays. And here's the thing. For us to be thinking about missions, for us to be praying about missions, for us to live our lives in a missional way, we first need to properly relate to the gospel. We need to learn to properly relate to the person of Jesus Christ. And it's when we ourselves believe that apart from Christ, there is eternal death. That apart from Christ, we're all lost. That apart from Christ, there is no salvation. So when we ourselves fully grasp that, that's when we'll begin to pray about missions, to think about missions, and to live our lives in a missional way. And so this morning, I really, my job is to answer these two very, very basic questions. How do we properly relate to the gospel? How do we properly relate to the person of Jesus Christ? What should be our attitude to the gospel? And the second question is, what does our attitude to the gospel have to do with missions? What should be our attitude to the gospel and what does it have to do with missions? And so, to answer these questions, let's uh, consider the person and the place uh, and the time of these verses. So Paul writes these uh, verses, these words down, uh, for people who live in the most powerful, in the most well-advanced, in the most researched, in the most progressive place in the world. He, he is writing these words to people who live in a place where um, human discovery, where research and the craftiness and the wisdom of the politicians claim to have the power to change lives. Rome was the epicenter of the world, as we all know. Rome was to the world as uh, today, say, Hollywood is to the movie industry. 
Rome was to the world as Disney today is to entertainment industry. And Rome had um, Alabama and Auburn football kind of fanaticism about anything powerful, about anything worldly. People wanted to immigrate to Rome to experience that Roman dream. They wanted to go to Rome so they could achieve the highest success through their hard work. People wanted to go to Rome at least once before they die. It was so powerful. That's why all roads lead to Rome. And at the same time, he was writing these words to regular Roman citizens like you and me, people who had bills to pay, who were dealing with um, family difficulties, uh, who were dealing with emotional stress. And so, if you will, Paul is writing these words to average people like you and me, to people who live in Romewood, people who live in Romebrook. He's writing this for the people of Romingham. This was Paul's audience. And yet it is to them that Paul says that actually the power to change lives lies in this account of a Galilean carpenter who was born in the manger, who, 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 who lived uh, as a carpenter, who lived a righteous life for you and me, who died a substitutionary death on the cross on our behalf, who was raised from the dead, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, just for a second, imagine what kind of response was Paul going to get by preaching this message in the most powerful place in the world. I mean, at best, this was a, a very weak message. And on top of that, we see that some people perceived Paul as a weak man, small man. He was a, of a small stature, had poor eyesight, poor health. And even though we don't have much proof and support of that, because we see how powerfully he preached in the, in the book of Acts, yet some people perceived him as weak. So what kind of response was he going to get by preaching this message in the most powerful place in the world, that the, lie, the, the, the power to change your lives lies in this account of a suffering servant who washed the feet of a tax collector? Paul would be mocked. And we read that most he was indeed, because the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. And we have to remember that he was a human being. He had a choice. He had a choice uh, to keep all his connections, to keep all his power. He was a very influential man, very powerful, very well-educated. But what we find in the book of Philippians, in that we see that he gave it all up. He says, Whatever gain I had... I count it now as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. See, when He met that true Jesus Christ, when He met that person, at that point, whatever the Romans, whatever the Corinthians, whatever anyone else would think of Him, it no longer mattered. Because all that was in Paul's mind was to Proclaim the gospel. Because he learned to properly relate to that person of Jesus Christ. When we ourselves learn to properly relate to this person, we will have the same experience. John Stott, when commenting on these verses, uh, and specifically commenting on Paul's use of words such as, I am under obligation, I am eager, I am not ashamed, John Stott says this, he says, the reason these affirmations are so striking is that they are directly opposite 
to the attitude of many in the contemporary church. People nowadays tend to regard missions and evangelism as an optional extra and consider if they engage in it that they are confirming, conferring a favor on God. Paul spoke of it as an obligation. He says the modern mood is one of reluctance. Paul's was one of eagerness and enthusiasm. He says many of us today would have to confess if we are honest, if we are really honest, that we are ashamed of the gospel. Some of you know that I was uh, born in Kazakhstan and when I was four my family immigrated to Russia and, and that kind of post-Soviet chaos, there was not much they could do. So my mother was a piano teacher, my dad was a fencing coach and as they moved to Russia they had to start from zero and so they started selling uh, fruit and vegetables at the street market. That's kind of the street market you might find when you go to Pepper Place only that one was less of a luxury and more of a necessity. That's just where people go to buy groceries. And so all my life, as I recall my dad ever driving his car, I can see his car just filled with boxes. Inside and on top, uh, second layers, uh, two, three layers of boxes of potatoes and cabbage and carrots and onions and cucumber, whatever was growing, it was in his car. And I mean huge banana boxes on top of his car. And it never really bothered me until I turned about 13. And then one cold uh, January morning, as uh, when it was really cold, my dad would drive me to school because it was like 20 degrees below zero and I had to go to school. And I remember he's driving me in the car to school and I put my eyes down and I said, Dad, you know, there is no need to drop me off right at the entrance of the school. Just Drop me off at that bus stop and, and I'm well dressed and I thought I need to exercise more anyway so just drop me off and I'll walk to school and sure enough he'd pull over uh, drop me off and I'll just walk to school for 10 minutes in the prison cold and I won't lie there is this fear in me that one day as I'm driving to the state of high school to pick up uh, Zoe and Nelly um, from high school I somehow received this message from them uh, one August afternoon that uh, they would tell me, Dad, it's August, it's only 110 degrees out there and <laughs> mosquitoes don't bother us. Just, there's no need to pick us up from the front entrance of the, just park by Publix, that Publix and Rocky are just park over there and we'll walk and we'll meet you there. Uh, we thought we need to exercise anyway. In his book, Yes to Mission, Douglas Webster, who was a British missiologist who lived in Great Britain about 70 years ago. 70 years ago, he, he quoted a Buddhist monk who said, To the Eastern religions, it looks as if Christianity has reached the stage in adolescence when the child is slightly ashamed of his father and embarrassed when talking about him. And look, I love America. I don't, I don't want to throw rocks in America. You just pick any country in Europe. Uh, I think this is happening in, in many places. And if you ever talk to counselors uh, about issues with parents, they'll say you have to figure it out or you'll carry into adulthood what they call unfinished business. Uh, and so we have to work it out. Uh, why do I want to cringe when just thinking 
about telling my own brother and my own mother about Jesus Christ? Why, why do I want to cringe just thinking about this? Well, you know, we don't want to appear strange. We don't want to be weird. Uh, I don't want to get into conflict of opinions. Nobody likes conflict. Uh, I'm a people pleaser by nation, so I don't want to disappoint people. But look at this. This is what we find in the Gospels. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gave him an answer. And then, this is ESV translation. Uh, we read his response. Once he received the answer from Jesus, we read that he was, the rich young ruler was disheartened, he was sorrowful, and he went away sad. Do you like to make people sad? We Russians love to make people sad. <laughs> I don't like to make people sad. Paul says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and follow the Gentiles. You like to be thought of as a fool, or to be a stumbling block to people? We Russians love to be stumbling block to people. I don't like to be someone block to people. In John 6, when Jesus told the people that He is the only living water, He is the bread of life of which they have to partake to satisfy their the cravings. When they heard this response, this is what we read after Jesus told them that. When many of His disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. And still, it's, uh, why do I want to cringe? It's so hard to be just thinking about sharing the gospel with those around me. But here's the deal. No matter how hard it is, today it just happens that when I say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this means that I have to tell Joe that Christianity is the only true faith. When I say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I have to tell Joe that there is only one way to heaven. There is only one true living God. What, today, what, when I say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, that means I have to tell Joe that whatever he watched in that documentary about that Big Bang explosion, this is simply not true because we have a creator. And whatever Joe has learned in his psychology 101, that uh, human babies are born as tabula rasa, that is, they're born as a blank slate, this is simply not true. Because we're born in sin. When I say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, that means I have to tell Joe that marriage is only to be between a man and a woman. That life begins at conception. And that there is indeed absolute truth. And that the Bible is inerrant, infallible word of God. When I tell Joe that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I have to tell him that the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ did take place. See, when we claim that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, we, we have to be open to the idea that you'll make some people sad and you'll be stumbling block and perhaps they'll stop texting you. Charles Spurgeon has been comforting when thinking about this. In one of his letters, and later in the lecture, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Let my name perish, 
but let Christ's name last forever. He says, if I had known that by faithfully serving Christ, I must ruin my reputation, I think I shouldn't have paused for a single moment. He says, I felt quite sure that if my reputation should be lost here among men, it would be safe with my Lord. For the day of judgment, there will be a resurrection of reputations as well as of bodies. There will be a resurrection of reputations. Spurgeon says, If I have God with me, I do not care who may be against me. He says, I remember once in London a man took off his head, bowed down to me and said, The Reverend Mr. Spurgeon, a great humbug, a great empty talker. I took off my head too and said, I am much obliged to you, sir, for the compliment. I am glad to hear that I am a great anything. Because there will be a resurrection of reputations. I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is the attitude. This is, this is the attitude by which we relate to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what does this attitude have to do with missions? And as you can figure out, has everything to do with missions. Has very much to do with missions. Because when this gospel sinks in, a person will begin to think missionally. For a mission spirit to be born in our hearts, we don't necessarily need to uh, go on a long-term mission trip. We don't necessarily have to go all the way across the globe. But the trip that needs to happen is only about 10 inches short. And that is from the head and to the heart. That's the trip that needs to happen. And we see that's what happened to Martin Luther. That after that gospel sank in, after he has full grasp that apart from Christ there is no salvation. When it, when it sank for him, at the face of death threats, at the face of all humiliation, uh, he said, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Which began the largest missionary movement of the day called the Reformation. And so when this verse is sinking for us, we'll, we'll say, I cannot get involved in the work of mission. I'll have to go to Joe and I'll befriend him and I'll be looking forward to an opportunity so that I can present the gospel to him. And there is no shame in that. And here's why there is no shame in it. In fact, it's so worthy of boasting because what we have on offer, here's why ultimately why there is no shame about this. What we have on offer is a person who is able to change Joe's life. Is a person who is able to change and transform Joe's life from head into the toes. This person is able to redeem all heartbreaks, all pain, all embarrassments, all shame. This person is able to redeem all of these things. Spurgeon again. Uh, in his lecture that's titled On the Propagation of the Faith. It says, we must propagate the faith. But first we must ask, what is the faith? What is the faith? It says, here a hundred isms and definitions rise up. But I put them all aside. Strange to say, the faith of a Christian is a person. It says, you may ask all other religions, where lies their faith? And they cannot answer it in this way. Our faith is a person. The gospel that we have to preach is a person. And go wherever we may, we have something 
solid and tangible to preach. If you had asked the twelve apostles in their day, what do you believe in? They wouldn't have needed to go round and about with a long reply, but they would have pointed to their master and they would have said, we believe him. But what are your doctrines? They are the standing corn. But what is your practice? There stands our practice. He is our example. What then do you propagate? Him. Here, the glorious answer of the Apostle Paul, we preach Christ crucified. And when we get to know that person, when that gospel sinks in, we'll be interested in what's happening in Terryfield, what's happening to church plant in Gardendale, and what's happening to, uh, to Joe Linton in Taiwan, and what's happening to the Montenegros in Thailand and what's happening to that uh, Presbyterian mission uh, in India. And they'll oftentimes just be very, of a very domestic nature. We'll just be um, telling our friends about this. We'll be praying about this. We'll be praying for the missionaries. We'll be canceling our Sunday morning activities. We'll be more intentional with our giving. We'll just be more intentional with our time. And perhaps we'll start praying for... Uh, Hon and James. William Carey, who was one of the greatest missionaries, just happened to go to India, trying to get his fellow Christians to get excited about his mission in India. Uh, he was trying to get his fellow Christians to support him to go to India, uh, to which they said, well, God is sovereign, isn't he? He can save these people without you. He can save everyone in India without involvement he's sovereign to which he said I am going down into the pit if you would hold the ropes I am going down into the pit if you would hold the ropes trying to get their support and later Alexander McLaren in commenting on what William Carey said it says they that hold the ropes and the daring miner that swings away down in the darkness are one in work are one in the motive and they shall be one in reward and Hunter and James are going to India to share the gospel to teach the gospel and yes they will be teaching to Christians but in verse 15 Paul says I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome he's talking to Christians he wants to encourage the Christians to remain steadfast in their daily walk with Christ. He wants to encourage them to be faithful in the gospel. And in verse 12 he says, I want to impart a spiritual gift to strengthen you. And I want to encourage you and to be mutually encouraged by your faith. Which I'm sure will be the experience of both Han and James. But we are holding the ropes. For we are one in work, one in the motive. And I'll take it. We'll be one reward. And I have no doubt that, you know, maybe years later we'll hear from J. Raj and we'll hear from Mo and Joe Linton and we'll hear from Luda in Ukraine and we'll find out that we were part of something bigger. That our prayers, that our support was a part of just something bigger. But it all starts with the gospel. It all starts with the gospel because... This gospel has the power to save anyone. And this gospel doesn't just extend to a certain group of people. This gospel extends to all nations. 
all nations. Uh, eight, eight months ago, Rob Shaw asked me to speak at Campus Outreach uh, Wednesday night gathering, and I was excited to do that until he told me that the subject he gave me to speak on was Satan. He asked a Russian to speak on Satan. Coincidence? I don't think so. These days it seems that we're speaking the same language, the Russians and Satan. Uh, as if somehow I've got his phone number in my back pocket. Uh, maybe he, he, he thought I, my action would make me sound more satanic. Thanks be to God. Praise God that the gospel extends to all nations. The gospel extends to Russian and to Canadian and to country boy wearing cowboy funny boots somewhere in Trustville and to fishermen in Vietnam and to cook in Thailand and to Indian all nations will be sitting at the wedding supper of the Lamb. This gospel extends to all nations. This gospel has the power to save and change anyone's life. And afterward, of Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, his recorded have said this uh, to American audiences on numerous occasions. Victor Frankl said this. He said, I strongly recommend that the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast be supplemented with the Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. I strongly recommend that the Statue of Liberty on the East be supplemented with the Statue of Responsibility on the West. See, we have experienced the riches of the mercy of Christ. And now we are under obligation to all nations. So where lies that power? Where lies the power to change lives? It lies in Him. A few years ago, Dasha and I, we went to Hawaii and we, we actually stayed for three days in, in an island of Maui that just experiences terrible wildfires. And one of the things to do in Maui, if you're there, is to go um, on the top of a volcano, which is covering about 75% of the island. So if you're standing somewhere in the island, the chances are you're standing on a volcano. And so one of the things to do was just to go up on the top and um, just to see the island from there. And so we got up early in the morning. We drove up. It was very foggy, very slow. It was just a very basic average drive that I could just get a sitting in traffic and see it. It was just basic. And we got on top of the island and the top of the volcano and it hit me because I realized that I stand on the top of a volcano. And that is, even though it's a sitting volcano, it's an active volcano. And so I realized that this, this thing on which I stand has enough power to send me to Russia against my will sooner than I might go to Russia sooner than I realize and it made me a little uncomfortable but I realized that this power under my feet is enough to transform my life in a heartbeat see the power that Paul is talking about is that 
dunamis. It's that, it's that word, the Greek word from which we derive the word dynamite. It's that power which is so explosive, which is able to change and transform lives of people around us in a heartbeat. It looks average. It's so basic. But this power on which, this gospel on which we stand, has the power to change lives of anyone. Where lies the power? That power lies in Him. And we are under obligation to introduce Him to all the nations. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you for your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you send to live a righteous life for us, to die a substitutionary death on the cross for us, that we may now enjoy eternal fellowship with you. And Father, I pray that you would give us the enthusiasm and eagerness and zeal to introduce this person to all those around us, those around us at work and at school and our neighborhoods. Father, give us the, the boldness and give us the faith to do that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.